Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sing to the Lord, the podcast that breaks down how the Lutheran hymnody is preaching the gospel. I'm your host, Mason Van Essen. What you're hearing is the hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Welcome back to Sing to the Lord. We have Zachary Brockoff and Lars Olson back with us. And you may have heard of this one. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. It is a uh, the selection for Holy Trinity Sunday as we're past now uh, Easter and Pentecost. And now that the Holy Spirit has arrived, we can start singing about the, the wonders of the, of the entire Trinity together. <laughs> and so uh, the scripture reading for the day is Matthew 28 and the, good, the great commission that Jesus gives that says, uh, go and baptize. And so, Zachary, why did you select this as our uh, hymn for Holy Trinity Sunday? Well, it's because you have to sing it. Um, and if you don't sing it, it's not real church. That's what I've been told uh, by um, one of my uh, friends and colleagues at First Lutheran is you must sing it. But it's true that many many congregations sang this um, throughout the 20th century almost every week to begin worship. Um, that is that is true. And concluded worship perhaps with the doxology or something else. Um, but um, the hymn itself, um, this, is, this comes from an, an Anglican bishop who wrote it. Um, for the uh, festival of the Holy Trinity. Um, so it's intended for that purpose. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out reading the text, but it's interesting. Sometimes you, um, that isn't always true. This one is. And so it's most appropriately used in that way. Um, I also think probably um, best uh, not around the sermon, but probably to begin worship, there is some, some wisdom in that, uh, that many churches have done this. Um, uh, early in the morning, our song shall rise to thee seems to almost indicate the, the beginning of worship. And most of the time when we're choosing hymns to begin worship, we want something about the God that uh, that we've we've been gathered to to worship. Um, this hymn spells that out very clearly, frankly, more clearly than, than some others. Um, and so it's appropriate for that reason. Um, it's also uh, honest. Um, God is holy. We are not. Um, and... Uh, and, um, of course, it's not just sort of repeating things in three, uh, holy, holy, holy. Um, let's see, uh, m- many other times it'll do this. Um, which word art evermore shall be, uh, word art evermore, group, groups of three. Um, but not just that. Um, uh, it's also um, telling you uh, that that you can't fully know uh, God simply by saying how holy God might be. Um, it's, of course, a reference to Isaiah 6 and also Revelation uh, 4, I believe, um, where Isaiah comes into the presence of God and uh, says, woe is, woe is me, I'm, I'm unclean. Um, so this is our first reaction. We sing it sort of as a hymn of triumph and how much we adore God. But in the context, um, <laughs> this is coming before God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and saying, um, I really don't belong here. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, in relation to this week's gospel text, I think it has something else to say, particularly the word, you can say God is merciful, not um, in the context of Isaiah or others who encounter uh, the, the, the holy um, God, this holy God, um, but only in the way in which we know uh, Christ, um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in, in baptism. And so... Um, uh, that's how the, there's a lot going on in that first stanza, but there it is. Yeah, I think that ter- those terms merciful and mighty yeah. oftentimes um, get you get the wrong uh, idea about this and kind of, you know, because might is very frightful. Sure. Uh, it puts power over you. Um, but uh, if, if because God is merciful and mighty, it is that his might is able to be merciful to you, mm-hmm. right? That his might is turned in towards mercy rather than uh, what you find in... Um, like in Isaiah 6, you know, the cherubim and seraphim falling down, or even Isaiah himself saying, go away from me, right. I'm, I, I, am, I have unclean lips. Sure. Um, but uh, rather in Revelation, you find that all the, the saints are adoring him, right. casting down their crowns because of the almighty God before them who has been merciful to them. Well, and that's stanza two, right? That's all over exactly. stanza two. It's, it's a little bit curious. It was to me when I, when I went through it because I thought, well... Um, here we have a hymn that we all love to sing, and yet we're spending the second stanza saying, you know who's really worshiping God? I mean, it can sound this way, right? It's all those up in heaven who actually have God there with them, um, <laughs> uh, falling down before before the... But but the um, the second half of that stanza, I think, um, the, the which wert, art, and evermore says this God, um, of course, has come before to these saints, um, and now they rest I- in Christ. Um comes now to you and will be uh, there uh, for the Christians who follow in the Church of Christ. Um, there's a wonderful actual promise in there. Um, and further, I think it's a, a neat connection to say um, we don't often get to sing about cherubim and seraphim, and you don't even get to do it um, usually as a congregation, but it's included in in, in the preface um, oftentimes around communion where we join with these um, uh, in singing the song, right. Holy Holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. And so there's a lovely connection to what many congregations do every week, um, that it isn't kept in heaven, but is actually going to come down in a very specific way. Say a little bit about how this hymn relates to the the gospel reading for the day, Matthew 28. Yeah, the gospel reading, um, I mean, picking up, uh, I think the third stanza is, is hel- helps us with that. So it's, it acknowledges a little bit about what we, what we know, that God is not only holy and perfect, but also holy and set apart from us, right? We, do, we don't fully know just saying uh, God is wonderful doesn't quite get us there. But, but we have to, we have to um, particularly in our sin, it says, the eye of sinfulness thy glory may not see. Um, <laughs> uh, you, you are something other than this. Um, and yet, um, this is why the promise that we're receiving in baptism is celebrated, I think, on, on this particular day, or at least partially, right, how, how this is going to connect, um, that God, Christ is not giving us some sort of divine to-do list, baptize and teach, um, and therefore, uh, you are somehow, um, doing everything that I've asked, you know, uh, completely, but, but again, giving us instead the promise that, that, um, baptism gives, this is what we're celebrating. Not simply that we haven't been baptizing and teaching in the way we should go out and do more of it. Um, but that, that baptism then, um, 
breaks through this veil of this eye of sinfulness that I, I don't know who God is. I'm sort of lost in this, in this terror and fear of God. Um, now we can show you where the Trinity actually is at work. So um, that's, that stands at three and then picks up in four, which appears to be a repeat. It's like, you know, most of the time I advocate for singing most all stanzas, but this one, it's like, well, why? It's largely the same. Um, but in, in, the, in the second ha- second line of stanza four, all thy works shall praise thy name and earth, sky, and sea. And there you have another um, set of three, um, as this hymn so often does, earth, sky, sea. But um, I think we associate all thy works shall praise thy name, earth, sky, and sea. We think about uh, creation which the hymn admittedly does also. But I think there's actually more going on there. Rather than confining God's work to creation, it's saying, in in your work, God, <laughs> this is where you are to be praised. And where the, the scripture reading then can come around and finally say, where is God at work for you? Um, not in standing in majesty and awe and not really knowing anything, but now we know something about God and God has said something to you. So... Um, uh, the hymn helps us get there. Yeah, I think that's that's really helpful. When we're thinking about baptism and glory and eyes and sure. seeing glory, um, you know, usually we can't see the glory in baptism because we think it, we, so we substitute cuteness. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, wasn't that precious? Mm. Um, uh, rather than uh, that was the inbreaking of the kingdom. Yeah. Our eyes are sinful and therefore we they're drawn to the wrong things. They actually have a a veil pulled over them, but what's happening in baptism, which connects to the this hymn, I think, and to the uh, to the scripture reading, is uh, that uh, God isn't giving the glory through the eyes; He's yeah. giving it through the promise, sure, so that we hear the word rather than see these things. But the promise in the baptism or in the Lord's Supper or in the sacraments is that there you get to not just hear it, but see it and touch it. That's mm-hmm. how God wants to be mm-hmm. known. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that it's unmistakable. And it's not because we invented it or we think it's cute and right. it's, or it's traditional or something like this. It's because that's where God promises to be. And so he's uh, opening sinful eyes through his word in the word and sacrament. Yes, there's when um, I can't help but think about Luther's baptism hymn mm-hmm. because um, in one of the stanzas, all that the mortal eye beholds is, is water as we pour it, the eye of faith. Right. Um, uh, sees the power of Jesus' merit, and of course the eye of faith being the ear that you hear it, and then of course that also it's it's tangible, right? God has put Himself in these things, right? Um, and so, yeah. Well, unfortunately, this isn't Luther. We're stuck with the Anglicans in this one. But, uh, <laughs> you can run off and sing about Luther if you want. We'll just like. interpret uh, this hymn of the Anglicans through the proper Lutheran lens. Through the right? proper yeah, Lutheran right. lens, it's in the Lutheran <laughs> hymnal. We can do that. That's right. Yeah. Um, in terms of other hymns for this day, I'd also look at, um, there's lots of uh, Trinitarian hymns, uh, certainly. Uh, we have a whole section in ELW dedicated to that and most hymnals for whatever it's worth. But um, one that um, I think is is helpful to sing, not only on, around a time of uh, Reformation, but also um, on Holy Trinity's uh, uh uh, Sunday, is um, All Glory Be to God on High, which each stanza begins to unpack the Trinity and and, and the work there for us. Um, the other one that would particularly, I think, go well, um, really either this week or you could have could have probably tossed it in last week also, is um, ELW 579, Lord, You Give the Great Commission. 
um, in my name baptize and teach, um, and and the forgiveness that Christ gives are is addressed there in that hymn. So um, either one, whether you're receiving the Holy Spirit or singing about the Trinity, um, and then finally it does say, "I am with you to the end." So there's there's all kinds of connections in that hymn as well. I say use both. There you go. Well, I have. In fact, I think we've just chosen all three right there. Your work is done. Thanks for joining us this week on Sing to the Lord. Check the show notes for Zachary's stanza-by-stanza commentary, as well as a list of other hymns we recommend. See you next week.